Hi, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? I am Ed Del Castillo. I'm the founder and president of Liquid Entertainment. Okay. And what's Liquid Entertainment about? So Liquid is a completely digital uh, gaming company. We we have uh, we started in the business as you know a traditional PC company, evolved into a console company, and then uh, as the world has you know kind of exploded with smartphones and social gaming, and our own personal interests have taken us into that area, we've kind of retooled the company entirely and and moved into that space ourselves. Great. And, you know, it's interesting that you've made the shift um, throughout, you know, just the history or through the, throughout the gaming industry, which is, you know, you started on console, then to PC and now to social and mobile. Um, you know, how, how have those shifts gone? Uh, have they been different each time? And uh, <laughs> I mean, like, how do you how do you recognize the shift? Yeah. Um, so so I, I think, you know, the, the lucky piece of, of seminal DNA that we had was that we knew our business was a changing one. I mean, that's why we named the company Liquid Entertainment. Great. We wanted to build it right into the core DNA that that we needed to be flexible. Um, you know, the, the quote from, from when we founded the company was, if we think we're going to be doing to 10 years from now what we're doing today, we might as well not start now. Because the the idea that, that we're even, even today, you know, in 2011, going to be doing the same thing that we're doing in 2021 is crazy. We're one of the few entertainment businesses that hasn't stabilized technologically, that hasn't stabilized uh, uh, temporally or, or, or not temporally, contextually. You know, we we still we still are figuring ourselves out. We're, it's an exciting yeah. time for the games business because, you know, a lot of people think we're fully matured, and and I see us as like we're toddlers. I mean, we really haven't completely, you know completely worked out how we tell story. We haven't completely worked out how we show that story. We haven't completely worked out what platforms we deliver to. We haven't really even worked out how much all that's going to cost. So it's a really wild and woolly time for our business. And, and so to answer your question, to get around to finally answering your question, um, <laughs> the, the PC business was where we started because that's what, what our core knowledge set was. When I started my my gaming career, there was really only the PC that you could play games on, you know, unless you were playing on some small console like an Atari 2600 or a ColecoVision or something like that. And then uh, as as it, it grew and expanded, you know, we stayed with it. And then it became obvious that that we didn't want to be typecast. There was a lot of there was a lot of businessmen out there who were seeing us as purely a PC house. I believe that Liquid has more talent than can be contained on one platform. And so we, we got a, a console deal because we saw the explosion of console in, in the Western hemispheres, you know, and, um, and after, after doing that for a little bit, we realized, you know, we kind of left what we loved for the sake of, of expanding the business. And so we came back to, to uh, PC in the form of Facebook and, and downloads because as we looked at our own lives, as we looked at our, our, our own playing habits and, and our own interests, we were we were wanting smaller and smaller gaming experiences. We were wanting them more off, more on our um, schedule as opposed to the schedule of the game. And we were wanting them uh, wherever we wanted to take them. So we were wanting them mobily as well. So Liquid has, so it, for us, the transition, spying the transitions were less about trying to, trying to be some kind of soothsayer about technology and more about watching 
our own trends in gaming and watching where we were playing games and saying, let's build for these platforms. And, you know, that's a really lucky space to be in, to be able to say, we're going to pursue our own fun, you know, yeah. and, and it just so happens to trend right along the lines of, of where the industry is headed. And, you know, what about these distribution shifts too? Uh, you know, you mentioned PC and then console and now Facebook and, and eventually mobile. Um, you know, how, how have those felt for you? Um, cause you know, there's, you know, throughout those shifts of PC console social, there've been game design shifts, but what about distribution shifts? Have that, uh, what do you feel about that? Well, well, dramatic. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember buying software in a Ziploc baggie, you know, from a, from a no name store down the street, you know, that was also selling hardware. I mean, there was a time when it was a one-stop shop, right? You know, a, a 20 by 20 space was selling you all the cables, circuits, uh, boards and games that were available, you know, in the entire industry. And to watch that become a booming industry where Best Buy and Walmart and all these guys are in this dominant position um, was exciting because, you know, you, you always like to see the business that you love grow. Um, but it was also self-defeating because one of the things that, that, happened during our stint with retail and I, I i'm sorry if i talk about it like it's the past because i know retail still exists but for me yeah. it's the past um you know our stint with retail has many fundamental flaws one it's geographically landlocked you know it's locked yeah it's like you 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 when you buy at a brick and mortar store you have to go there you have to find it you have to locate the place and it, that's barrier number one Barrier number two was caused largely by the brick and mortar stores themselves. They, they entered into this business of reselling games and they entered into this business of reselling games without cutting in the very developers of the games. So what happened is a whole secondary market grew up that none of the game makers were making any money on. Well, if the performer isn't getting paid to perform, yeah. what is the likelihood that he's going to continue to perform? Or what is the likelihood that he's going to not be embittered by that? Or what is the likelihood that he's not going to find something else to do? You, you see what I'm saying? It, yeah. It's, yeah. it's very difficult to watch you know, GameStop announce that their biggest revenue generator is resold games yeah. and know that I'm not going to see a penny of that as a game maker and go, well, I don't like retail anymore. You know, that, yeah. I do that too. <laughs> Well, then, on the, yeah, go ahead. Finish. And then the, the tertiary, you know, the thing that, that another brick, another type of brick and mortar store did that really pushed us out of this brick and mortar era was they started renting games and they started renting games again without giving us a penny. Gamefly doesn't give us a penny. Blockbuster doesn't give us a penny. So there are all these revenue sources. There are all these revenue sources for games that if the games industry was actually getting a portion of that, I think the games industry would actually be twice or three times as big as it is today. It would be a flourishing and number one entertainment business. But because of greed, because of people who don't understand the synergistic effects of sharing the wealth, yeah. you, what you're having is the exact same thing that happened in the music industry when music became too expensive. You're having an, an alarming and forceful push towards digital distribution. And that digital distribution is a revolution and it's being helped by what I call the atomic bomb of technology, which is the iPhone. You know, it's being helped 
by Amazon. It's being helped by everything that's happened online in the last, you know, we, we forget sometimes because some of us were born after the internet that, you know, I went to college and there was no internet in college, you know, or, or the internet that there was, was Unix based, you know, and ASCII driven. And, you know, it wasn't graphical. It wasn't the barrier shattering thing that, that the internet is today. And so, you know, it only takes, it only takes you giving up your pretenses about retail for one day and saying for one day, literally, if I could get, if I could get everybody who doesn't believe in the internet to do this for one day, I guarantee you brick and mortar stores would start, would, would vaporize. If you could get my mom to order on Amazon, if you could get, you know, people to buy from Best Buy or Newegg or, or, or anywhere when they need their stuff, if they're, when their first answer is, let me get it from the internet, we would end the brick and mortar era. And I think that seeing that is just a matter of, of watching what has happened with other technologies and in particular entertainment technologies and, and saying, okay, well, the writing's on the wall. We're arrogant if we think we're not gonna fall the same way because in every other form of entertainment, it has tried to be smaller, more in control of the of the user, more you know at the time and place that the user wants, yeah. um, you know across the board. You know, there's a reason why magazines are the number one, peri- you know, paper print media. There's a reason why you know DVRs are so powerful. There's a reason why the internet has had such a big explosion. So I know I've gone way off in the weeds with this. I'm sure you. No, can no I think I think what's uh, what's also interesting though is it's. Because because you've been through all those experiences, it may have even been hard for you to understand these opportunities that did come up where literally these these platforms, you know, like Facebook and iPhone, iPad, Android, they're not as I mean, they definitely want to take their cut of the revenue, but they're not as cutthroat as these other right. other platforms or other companies where their primary focus was on making revenue off of other, you know, off of games, like like publishers that's, and stuff like that. That's so, absolutely right. That's so, absolutely right. And, and, you know, that's definitely beneficial. So they just see it as like, oh, apps are just, you know, one part of actually promoting their own business model, which is completely different, you know, which in the case of Apple is hardware or something else. So mm-hmm. what, how do you, uh, how do you keep that mentality so you can be open to these opportunities given, you know, given your experience with when, when the games industry wasn't as flourishing as it is now? Um, you know, I would say it takes a serious bout of humility and, and what I mean by that is, you know, when you're doing something on your own, when you're an indie developer and, and you're foraging out into the new world, one of the one of the things that most of us get is a bit of arrogance. And the reason we get that arrogance is it's not because we deserve it because of some success. It's because that arrogance sheathes us from the batterings of common sense that people want to, you know, throw our way. You know, I, for the first for the first five years of my business, I had more negative influences saying, why the hell are you doing this than positive ones. Yeah. And I think during those times, you know, when we buck the trend of society, which isn't to be an entrepreneur, it is to be a company man, um, you you develop a, a toughness, a, a coding, and the, and the difficulty there is that same arrogance can confuse you when things start to change in your business and stay and and say, well, that's just another negative influence. I need to keep doing what I'm doing. And it only takes it. Well, it, it only takes, it takes a 
keeping a, a, a real beginner's mind, a real humble approach and saying, okay, let me put my own love of what I'm doing aside for a moment. And let me look around and see what everybody else is actually doing. You know, let me watch the habits of my game playing peers. Let me watch the habit of habits of the trends that are in the world, because we are a reflection of pop culture. We are, you know, we are entertainment. We are not curing cancer here. Although, you know, it has been shown that some games have helped to uh, ameliorate the the symptoms of cancer in kids. So maybe we are curing cancer. But I think we're, we're at that point where we all sometimes forget that people have to like our stuff in order to make money. And we're, we're, no, we're no different than the street vendor who performs and then he passes a hat around. And when you're doing that, if no one is standing around your performance, you had better rethink your performance. Because if no one's standing around your performance, your options are to continue to perform that performance and hope somebody comes or to go to a performance that will draw more people. And I have always believed that the best entertainment is the entertainment that gets to the most people because I want to make as many people as, as happy as I possibly can. And so if I'm living in a niche community, you know, that's a, that's a cool thing if I'm making them really, 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 really happy. But if I can broaden that niche, if I can bring people to that niche, that's even one step better. If I can, for a great example is, you know, we're working on a D&D game right now, which a lot of people would say is niche. And my answer to that is my goal is to get more people to play D&D than ever before, not by changing the game, but by exposing them to it. And I think that's a really important thing that if you keep that humility, if you keep that that lack of ego, you can always look outside yourself and say, what are people doing? People are all playing with squirt guns. OK, well, maybe I need to contemplate, you know, what that means for my game or, oh, look, everybody's, you know, everybody's dressing with pants on their on their upper torso and shirts on their lower torso. Maybe I should reflect that in our game. You know, it's that whole art reflecting life and life reflecting yeah. kind of thing. Well, how do you, um, you know, how do you reconcile protecting your thoughts from, you know, like you said, the negative influences of people around you? Because you, because you decided to do something different, with, um, you know, the the fact that you do have to keep your mind open to all these new trends and changes and stuff like that. So, I mean, have you figured out a, a formula for that? Because you definitely can't be around. Um, I don't think it's really constructive to be around the negative people who are saying that this won't work or you know this or that or whatever. Right. Well. Yeah, my, my, I don't have a formula. I mean, I think it's a, this is, every person, every human has things they grapple with and every career creates more of those. You know, if you're an accountant, you have to grapple with how much you, your accounting bends the law all the time, you yeah. know? And um, if you're, if you're a game maker, you're always, or a game designer, you're always grappling with how much do I listen to the exterior forces versus how much do I listen to my own talent? And I think the right mix is different in every situation. And this is, this is um, because there is no formula, this is what separates great game makers from mediocre game makers, is the mastery of this piece, which is, am I just a follower? Or am I too much of a follower? Am I too much of a leader? Where, where is the mix? And, is that, and does that mix oscillate? Because, for example, just today I've had you know, a handful 
of game design discussions with my game designer. And in those discussions, there have been a there has definitely been a, you know what, we should do what everybody else is doing on this front because that is the thing that's the right decision. And we have also had the, you know what? I purposely want to go away from everything that everybody is doing on this front because this is a bold new direction that I really want to explore. And then there's, you know, yet another discussion where it was like, you know, let's take a hybrid. How about we bring some new ideas to the mix? Let's add some new spice, but let's let's make it familiar enough that the that the player won't be completely alienated by this. And so that's the game. That's the dance. And the only piece of advice I could offer on this front is I think that when you get negativity, I prize my ability to differentiate the emotional envelope in which that's delivered from the content of the message okay. and the ability to strip away the negativity of the presentation and hear the nugget of unemotional content and then be able to decide whether that's true or not is super important. You know, as I say here, I, I'm always trying to teach our guys, try to hear the truth of the statement. Don't try to hear how it was delivered. Don't hear the tone, the, the, you know, the, the, the emotion. Try to hear the truth of the statement. And if there is no truth in the statement, fine. But you always have to try to hear that truth. And so maybe um, the best way is to actually just be data-driven or data informed where the data can tell you whether it's positive or negative versus someone's opinion? Or do you think it's even worthwhile to talk to uh, people in the industry? Because it, it just seems like even in the games industry right now, the people who are creating the change who are kind of uh, serving the most people, they're, you know, they're not the traditional game designers. They're these kind of uh, people who have found kind of a new audience, you know, for example, with these casual games on Facebook and mobile, who are just kind of indie or small developers who are just targeting kind of new types of uh, of gamers, you know, who weren't necessarily buying those $60 games, but because of these new business models and distribution models, they're more open to these uh, types of games that are on these platforms. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that in the past, the number one, the number one shift that has occurred is in the past, we, you know, we as a gaming community were very niche. You know, if, if you go to try, as a first-time gamer, you go to try to play say a Mass Effect 2 or an Assassin's Creed or a Gears of War, you will discover that there is a whole second language there that you haven't learned. There are tropes, just even concepts like, what does the bar mean when it's red versus when it's green? What does the bar shrinking mean? Am I getting, like, the, the number of metaphorical learning, the number of metaphors that a typical gamer has learned is in the, in the hundreds of thousands. And we take all of those for granted. You know, I, I got this experience firsthand when I tried to teach my wife how to play World of Warcraft. And just the concept that, you know, there was this ASWD set of keys that moved you around. And there was, you know, what is the concept of inventory? And what is the concept? Why is my character represented in both 2D as a paper doll and in 3D in the world space? And what is the concept of a mini-map? And what do these these... Uh, icons at the bottom mean, oh, they're my powers? Well, why aren't they on me? You know, there were so many different metaphors that I came to re to see as a new player that I have learned because I've been playing games since those metaphors were spawned, right? So I, I always knew, you know, that there was going to be a steering mechanism for my 
for my character. I always knew that there was going to be an inventory. I, I was taught those things very, very early on. And I think that what these new games have done is they've said, hey, how about games for people who haven't played them before? How about games for people who don't know all those tropes and need to be taught need to be taught that those that language? And I think that's caused an explosion of players, you know. And and it's a it's a wonderful thing in my opinion. And, I, and 